You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey y'all, Ryan Sprague here. As you all know, the Summer in the Skies podcast is always free to consume, but it isn't free to create. That's why I've started the Somewhere in the Skies Patreon campaign. On a monthly basis, you give what you think the show is worth. You'll be helping the show continue, grow, and to be something truly communal. And remember, there are rewards for each level of contribution, and the list is only growing. So please, help Somewhere in the Skies now by becoming a patron. To contribute and to learn more, visit www.patreon.com backslash somewhere skies. Thank you for your support. And now, on with the show. We have a situation in West Virginia. A family reported seeing something falling from the sky. I'll get down there right away. I need you to meet someone first. My name's Dr. Alan Hynek. You want me to investigate flying saucers? I want you to help me prove to the public the truth. They don't exist. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Spread. Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I'm your host, Ryan Sprague. One evening, I arrived home to be greeted by a mysterious envelope in the mail. Upon opening it, my eyes immediately lit up. Inside was my own personal Project Blue Book file, with not only authentic UFO case reports and photos, but a package titled Video Evidence. This all came compliments of the History Channel for their brand new show, Project Blue Book. It was clear they meant business. In that video evidence, it was actually the first six episodes of the show for me to review. Well, the review's coming soon. But for now, you're going to hear directly from the show's creator, David O'Leary, and the showrunner, Sean Jablonski. What prompted David to write a show based around the work of J. Allen Hynek? What attracted Sean to the project? And just exactly how close does the show stay to the actual life and work of Hynek and others involved with Project Blue Book? Tune in right now to find out. David, thank you so much for joining me on Somewhere in the Skies. My pleasure. Happy to be here, Ryan. Awesome. So I did get to briefly see you at an event, the screening of the Bob Lazar documentary by Jeremy Corbell. I did not get to talk to you. It was too crazy, too nuts. And I was going to be talking to you in two days anyway. So um, I know. It's, uh, but I love how it's such a small world. And, uh, yeah. and uh, I always love stuff like that. It's like we sat like, what, three seats away from each other. Literally. And, I, or, and here we are two days later talking. And it's like, it's great. I love stuff like that. I mean, it's... 
it's a sign that we are meant to have this conversation. Exactly. The stars have aligned. And I think yeah. they have for you guys as well. And we're gonna we're gonna get into that. But so I had the I had the immense pleasure of seeing the first six episodes of your show. Um oh, and great. I've had a lot of people asking me for, you know, for specifics and asking me what I thought about the show. I haven't told them anything yet. Um the only thing I'm really telling them is, you know, it's almost like growing up with the Harry Potter books and then seeing that first movie for the first time, everything is uh-huh. lifted off that page. It's brought to life for you, specifically for you. And for someone like J. Allen Hynek, the hero, the godfather of ufology, I got chills, man, the first time oh, I gosh. heard uh, I'm, Aiden Gillen. I'm so happy to hear that. I mean, uh, you know, listen, you're one of the first people who who wasn't involved in the creation of the show to see the show. So I, I really uh, genuinely appreciate that. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you liked it. Thank you. And yes, I mean, I was given the first six episodes in possibly the most elaborate, beautiful press packet I've ever seen in my oh, life. Did you, get, did you get a press kit? Those things are incredible. I was, I was really blown away by the level of detail. Our publicity and marketing teams are, they just, they, they understand the show. They understand what's what's interesting about the show. And uh, yeah, oh, that's great. Yeah, you got the the leather satchel. They yes. showed us doing with the leather satchel, and it's like Heineck's briefcase, essentially, right, with his notes yep. and all that good stuff. It some was newspapers, amazing. Yep, Art some newspapers. Uh, I, yeah. I, it was like opening a Christmas present. I'm not going to lie, man. <laughs> but it, it shows, right. I think, that, like, again, the marketing is behind you guys. They believe in the project. And after seeing these first six, like, I, I can tell you right now before we even get into the interview, uh, I am in 100% as a very very passionate ufologist uh, you yeah, know we were right. worried when we first heard about this project i'm not gonna lie because oh, you, sure. you never know what's gonna happen how things get distorted but again yep. we will get into all that um, absolutely i listen i understand that too i mean this is a subject matter that is near and dear to my heart and you know it's it's when you make a television show a lot of you get a lot of, you know there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen and a lot of different um voices and you know so it's all about you know we wanted to try to create something that was that was authentic and true to the era and authentic and true to Project Blue Book. But of course, you know, we're not a, we're not a documentary. We are a dramatization of these events. But with you know, what was important for us is just that, like, we try to present it as 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 truthfully and as thoroughly as we can. And then, you know, while also remembering that, you know, we're, we're a piece of entertainment and we're here to entertain as well as educate. You know what I mean? Exactly. Unlike a documentary that's really designed to, like, educate. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I mean, I have to ask you personally, what yeah. was your uh, your interest in the UFO topic or even your knowledge of Project Blue Book before you even started this spec script? Sure. Um, uh, pretty big on both interest and, and knowledge, just in that, um, you know, UFOs and, and, and you know, the, the whole subject matter has been a lifelong, you know, I guess, obsession of mine. My friends joke how I, I somehow found a way to monetize something that I would end up talking about at like three in the morning at a party <laughs> to anybody who would listen to me. I just, you know, and I think that I think that this subject matter does speak to people and it's to certain people in that way. And it certainly did to me. I grew up in New York City, as did our showrunner. And uh, I remember, you know, I went to see Communion, Whitley Strivers Communion. They did a feature adaptation of that of that uh, <laughs> yes. novel in nineteen eighty nine starring Christopher Walken. And I was and I and I went and saw that in theaters as a nine year old. It dragged my dad to take me to like the one theater in Lower Manhattan that saw it. And it, you know, it freaked me out. But my interest in that subject was already there then. 
And then, you know, in high school, I would read, you know, every book book I could get my hands on. And I think my interest really started with sort of the present, what was then the present day UFO phenomena of the of the 80s and 90s. I'd watch all the, you know, the, the Fox News documentaries and, you know, greatest UFOs caught on tape kind of things. And I really credit there was a 2005 documentary when I was out here in L.A. I was in my early 20s. Um, called Seeing is Believing by Peter Jennings. And in that documentary, it was all about America's history, bizarre and fascinating history with UFOs. And it talked at length about Dr. J. Allen Hynek. And that began for me and, and, and his whole journey of going from somebody who was a complete UFO skeptic and a, you know this civilian astrophysicist recruited by the Air Force to go out there and and explain what people were seeing. And, you know, and of course, his, everyone, you know, probably listening or many people listening know that over the course of his tenure, you know, working on Project Blue Book, he, com- he became com- completely convinced of the other side. I mean, he mm-hmm. became a believer. He became somebody who thinks that, you know, UFOs are worthy of scientific study and also convinced that that the U.S. Air Force knows that and that Project Blue Book itself was a, mis- a disinformation campaign used in many ways to control public perception, explain away UFOs and and all that. And so that journey and that that story was just so fascinating to me. And so that's I, I would say then is when I really started to delve it just into the history and just got my hands on like Dr. Alan Hynek's books. You know, I read I read the great Captain Edward Pelt's book, mm-hmm. uh, Report on Unidentified Flying Objects. He was the first director of Project Blue Book. And then, you know, and but I but listen, I was I wasn't I wasn't in L.A. working as a as a UFO researcher. I was in L.A. Uh, working as a as a, you know, sort of a struggling rising screenwriter. And, you know, one night basically having a, a, a glass of wine with my wife, like we started talking about what if, what if we did like a, you know, a real life UFO conspiracy thriller, but set set in that era, set in the time of, of, of mad, you know, of mad men, essentially mm-hmm. rooted in real life cases. And I and we just sort of and I was like that and it just kind of sparked for me. And that began sort of the journey of developing the show. Well, I have to ask you, you know, in terms of when that, that spark hit, you knew you wanted to do it, um, you started doing all the research. Uh, how did you come up with the specific cases that you actually cover in the first season yeah. of Project Blue Book? I'm, I'm interested in hearing that. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, the, the good news on, on something on this kind of idea for a television series is there's just an endless amount of cases. I mean, Project Blue Book itself looked at over 12,000 UFO cases. Uh, from 1952 to 69, over 700 of which remain unexplained. And even the ones that they did have an official explanation for, in many cases, that didn't satisfy certainly the witnesses or even some of the people involved at Blue Book. So, I mean, for us, it was going back. It was reading, uh, you know, the books, you know, definitely Edward Pelt's book and just looking at all the research and trying. I think what we tried to do is I, I mapped out like I had to build like a Bible for the show. So I mapped out certain seminal cases that I thought were going to be big, you know, the Lubbock Lights case uh flatwoods monster was always interesting to me obviously we we uh explore the gorman incident the famous ufo dogfight case uh in the first episode you know uh i don't want to i don't want to give away every case we of explore, course of course but, but even though i'm you know i'm sure people you know that information will be out there eventually for me what was important is that we we try to examine sort of the the the, the how do i say this the variety of different types of UFO cases that there are, because I think some people like, I think, you know, especially people who aren't that knowledgeable on the subject will think, Oh, like a UFO case is somebody seeing like a saucer shaped object in the sky. But there is such a, that's, and certainly that happens. And certainly that happens a lot, but that is just like sort of one type of UFO case that occurs. You know, people see weird orbs of light that seem to operate intelligently. People see V shaped craft like the Lubbock lights, 
you know, you know, people see like, I, you know, there's the famous uh, Child's Witted case where they saw like a mysterious sort of rocket shaped object that sped right past their 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 civilian aircraft. Like there's, you know, there's all kinds of sort of, uh, you know, weird kind of high strangeness, as they call it, right, to UFO phenomena. And I think we wanted to set out to make sure that we try to cover the the as much of that as we could in terms of just the actual nature of these cases, coupled with, you know, we are a drama series. So we wanted to feel like it, it all builds and intensifies as we go along and that and that it takes us on a journey of discovery as we're taking these characters on their own, you know, sort of character arcs and character journeys. And we were big on like trying to explore like, OK, what's. What's the case about this week, given the witnesses involved, given the pressure, you know, they're facing? So, you know, what are the thematics there and how can we how can we explore those themes and what's going on in the lives of our characters as well? So that it all sort of feels, you know, what's happening up in the sky represents what's happening on the ground to some degree and vice versa. So that you so that we felt that we were building a, you know, a, a truly organic mystery and a mystery that reflects on the people investigating it. And I mean, you have some uh, some actual historical figures scattered throughout uh, what I've seen in the show, you know, whether they're UFO researchers, astronomers, scientists. Uh, right. And then you have Heineck himself, this actual person. But on the flip side of that, we have sort of these amalgamations of characters yes. that represent people throughout UFO and Air Force history as well. You know, someone like uh, Captain Michael Quinn. Malarkey's character. So what was it like sort of creating these characters around an actual person as well? Yeah, I mean, that was that was it. That was really interesting. I mean, you know, the, the show lives, you know, began and lives around, of course, Dr. Alan Hynek. And we were fortunate enough to get two two of his sons have come up, come on board as consultants. And that once that process began, I mean, that really helped us just open up. I had done my research into like, you know, into him, everything I could find on him. And also, you know, you learn a lot about, about somebody, even when it's unsaid, just by reading their work. Right. So like I had read all Dr. Alan Hyman's books. So you, you know, you know, the kind of way in which he thinks about the world you could, you, you know, his books just, just are a window into his mind and just how much of a meticulous, precise scientist he was. So I, I wanted to make sure that that really came across, but but, you know, really getting some of those personal details from pe- the people who knew him best was fantastic. We also got a chance. It's, he's not a character on the show, at least not yet. But I got a chance to interview the last living director of Project Blue Book, which is this man named Lieutenant Colonel Robert Friend. And he was a Tuskegee Airman in World War II. He's got to be – I mean I'm not kidding. I think he's like 100 years old now. I interviewed him right right when we sold the script. He was one of the first people I sat down because I, what I really wanted to do is get firsthand knowledge of like well, how does Project Blue – how did Project Blue Book as an as – a, as a division of this, you know, as a, as an investigatory division of the Air Force, how did it function? Like, what was it like going to work there? Like, how did cases get come in and all that kind of stuff? And he gave us, I mean, and he also, of course, worked with Dr. Alan Hyde very closely. So gave me all kinds of insights uh, into, into working with him as well. But that was like, that was huge for me. I mean, like, one of my prized possessions is I have a signed copy, you know, of of the report on flying on uh, unidentified flying objects written by the the first director of project blue book, but signed by the last living director of project. <laughs> Full circle. Uh, and it, of course, inside that book is filled with all my notes for the show. So I'm just like, it's a little project blue book. Uh, you know, it's a, it, it's a little gem of mine, but he, 
and listen, he said some really interesting things. I mean, I asked him things like, you know, if you if if, if Project Blue Book had evidence that some UFOs uh, represent, uh, you know, an intelligence that we have yet to under, and understand or a mystery that we've yet to explain, uh, would that information be divulged to the American public? And he said no. He flat out was like no. And I thought that was really interesting that like, you know, and he believed, you know, I think he 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 came down on the side that like that there is something of genuine scientific intrigue happening here that needs to be studied and understood. You know, I think I think he's a he he's a, you know, a, a very rational guy, but he he was great. So, I mean, like, you know, helping helping sort of, you know, having some of those people who really were around Heineck and worked with Heineck and knew Heineck at home and all that kind of stuff really helped us paint a much more clear picture of the man. And then with the composite, you know, with characters that became composites, uh, the nice thing there is it does is, you you know, we, we get to root it in real life people, real life Air Force generals, real life directors of Project Blue Book, real life. You know, we, we have a Mimi Heineck, which is the real name of of Heineck's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does give us the freedom to as well to kind of not just not just have to deal with that one person's life, but be able to kind of explore through those characters some other historical things that were occurring at the time. Well, that's a big part of what I've seen of the show so far is, you know, taking someone like Mimi Heineck into consideration. Uh, there's a lot more to this entire story that you're crafting than just investigating UFOs. I mean, this Fire. is clearly a time of extreme paranoia, Cold War paranoia, espionage, and these are things you tackle in the show. One episode in specific, I won't give anything away, but uh, it, it we, we see this image in a lot of the press of Hynek looking at this alien, and a lot of us were like, hold up a second. That right. never happened. Right, like, right, really, right. this is where they're going. But then after actually seeing that episode, dude, I I completely got it. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's what they're doing. So there's a oh, lot of misdirections. There's a yeah. lot of twists. And I, have, I assume that's what happened to Heineck at this time. The minute he thought he had a conclusion, you know, at least in your version, that changes in an instant. So how yeah. was it sort of writing those undertones to the show? We wanted to make sure, and much like this phenomenon itself, you know, it's sort of cloaked in mystery and it's, clo- it's cloaked in being unidentified and misidentified, you know? And, and what was important for us is that, um, well, you know, in so many of these cases, people genuinely have a, an experience that they, that they determine to be something of an otherworldly nature. There is almost always some sort of like kind of rational, you know, explanation. And so we wanted to thread the line where it's like, listen, like, you know, very. There's. I think the totality of cases proves that there is. There's something genuine in the nature of this phenomenon that goes beyond just misidentifying things. I, I, like I think that's indisputable, and I and I and I think the show does. I think that we can say that the show does does tip its hand a little bit in that direction. But at the same time, it's also true that many of these cases do have earthly explanations, or are like, or potentially could. And so I think we were always walking that line between: is what you think you see what you really see? And I think you know that that alien in the tank is a great example uh, of that. Of of us, you know, we wanted to be we wanted to be as truthful in our storytelling as the nature of the phenomena is itself, which is that in some regards, you know, UFOs hide you know what i mean like you see them they are seen on the fringes they are they are witnessed and then they're gone they are they appear to be one thing but then we're not so sure and i think that it's it's important that the show to properly represent that does that to some degree as well you know and i and that's why and i and and while you know many people i think who tune into the show will be people who are at least curious about the subject matter or who are 
or more or even more convinced of the reality of this subject matter. I also I, for me, my goal is also that this show will, will 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 sort of hook in people who maybe don't know a lot about this phenomena or have dismissed it outright as not being something that is that is real um, that may take another look or at the very least understand that, listen, we're exploring all sides of the issue as well. You know, and that's what was so important for us. It was just benchmarking the show every week in real life, searchable, Googleable. Like, did, you know, did this really happen? Yes. You know, and throughout we tried to find these benchmarks. Was this a real person? Was was this a real program? Was this a real thing? And over and over and over again, you know, we basically took what were those historical ingredients and then and then just tried to, you know, fit it all together in a compelling, uh, you know, drama and a compelling, you know, story that would that would you know, that would educate and entertain, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, I imagine that's, that can't be easy. And one, one of the, one of the big things that it comes down to for me, David, is, you know, we had this last year, this, uh, New York Times article come out about yeah. a secret Pentagon UFO program. And people immediately started coming to people like us, the UFO quote unquote, uh, field and saying, Oh my God, is this like the government investigated UFOs? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, like, 50 years ago, you know, and whatnot. Um, And that was the last program we were told that they officially investigated UFOs. Lo and behold, it wasn't. So for your show to come along at this time, when we now learn that the government has maybe not so much been lying, but at least keeping major secrets from us in terms of this topic, it it mirrors what you guys are doing so much. As a, uh, you know, like a clever... uh publicity tactic on our on our end and it just wasn't i mean when that's when that new york times bombshell came out we had just started shooting and we um uh you know that article went all over our offices and all over everybody in production and up on set and people were like what is going on here because it was just so insane that we were already kind of making a show about this and here it is on the front page of the new york times and listen it also just is 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 a great piece of evidence to, to, to say that listen undeniably this is a this is a subject matter that the U.S. Air, that the government takes incredibly seriously, and that the the old kind of uh, you know cap of, of of listen we determined in 1969 that UFOs don't don't uh, present a threat to national security, which was sort of the final official sort of termination of Project Blue Book doesn't hold water even for them, and certainly doesn't hold water for you know the the the, the you know the many many people who where where you know who have sightings that continue on to this day. And I mean, I think that's one of the things that's so that I hope really resonates with people is, is like this isn't a show about a mystery that occurred in the 50s and 60s. This is a show looking at the origin of a mystery that continued that that continued that that existed before then, most you know, almost certainly. And that continues on very much to this day with, you know, and, and real. And it's sometimes hard to like sift through all the clutter, but there are real genuine UFO cases that happen all over the world all the time, you know, mm-hmm. and that I mean, listen, that was a that was a big part of me being able to sort of when I was frankly pitching the show to history and, and, and getting the show greenlit to, to series was like, listen, this is this is this is topical for so many reasons, you know, and not, and not not only just the fact that we're dealing with the with the a mystery that persists, a UFO mystery that persists, but even even some of the other things that you touch on, Ryan, like, you know, the fact that we're going back and we're looking at, you know, Aspects of the Cold War and fear and paranoia, fear of invasion, fear of foreign invasion, fear of uh, fear of nuclear war, things that, that unfortunately in our in our present day reality are still present. And then, of course, this notion of, you know, 
Project Blue Book being the beginnings of, of, of sort of fake news, controlled controlled uh, information. You know, I mean, like Heineck himself would be the first to admit that there was a very there was a mandate on Project Blue Book to basically debunk and explain away these cases, and he did so on a few occasions that never sat right with him, and he did so because he was a man of science and wanted access to the cases themselves, right. and that became for me just as fascinating. Like imagine being being a man in, in those shoes where it's like, how do you expose how do you expose one of the great mysteries when when you're when you're an instrument of the cover-up you know to some degree so it's it's you know for me he was just put in such a unique position as a scientist and and i think uh you know i think he knew he uncovered something something worthy of study it's why he devoted the rest of his life to you know to studying this you know even outside of the government Right. And I mean, I mean, if there is no clearer message in terms of someone hired to debunk UFO cases from a scientific standpoint or to just flat out give an answer that isn't what it actually was to then turn around and start his own UFO research organization that says more than anything else I could possibly imagine, no matter what we're dealing with, if it's aliens, if it's, you know, uh, another country, interdimensional, Bigfoot, I don't care. It comes down to the fact that he had a job, he did his job, he struggled with that job for a very long time, which we see yeah. in the show, and then to come out on the other side saying there's a core phenomenon, I'm going to keep looking into it personally, please come join me. Like, that's a that's journey right. I think so many people want to take. Yeah, I hope so. I hope you're right. And like, you, you hit it on the head too, just in terms of Heineck was a scientist first, and kept an open mind both during Blue Book and, and certainly after, you know, he de- definitely would... would you know, definitely knew that UFOs and 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 were worthy of scientific study, and that that the phenomena is genuine. And but you know, but was very still open minded to what what is the nature of UFOs and what are we really dealing with? And of course, he was open to the to the extraterrestrial hypothesis, which was which is probably the most popular hypothesis or most mainstream understood hypothesis. But but was just as vocal about the possibility, like, are we dealing with some sort of intelligence that is interdimensional or on a hyperplane where like. Sometimes somehow like our planet is theirs as well or our reality is connected to theirs in some way. I mean, that's fascinating to me. You know, he, he proposed, you know, are we dealing with are we being visited by our future selves? Do UFOs represent the, the reality of time travel? I always found that to be a fascinating uh, theory. And then, of you know, and then, of course, uh, you know, the, the notion that it might be interplanetary or evidence that we live in a simulated reality or, you know, <laughs> right, the list, right. the list goes on and on. And I think, um, and that's what's so, you know, and I mean, one of his great quotes was sort of, you know, I'm paraphrasing it, but it was, he really felt that to understand the mystery of UFOs, we would, we would better understand ourselves and our place in the universe. And I, and regardless of what those answers might be. And I, I really genuinely with all my heart believe that to be true as well. Like I'm, I like him, I'm open-minded to what, what is the nature of what we might be dealing with. I, I oscillate. Sometimes I'm like very convinced it's X or very convinced it's Y, but for sure, I, 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 with all my being, do believe that it, it is an answer. It does represent an answer that we have yet to, to, to fully understand in terms of our, you know, it, that that will help us really understand the nature of our own reality and the larger, you know, universe in which we live. That is fascinating. I, I can't think of sort of a better way to wrap it up. But I, I just I want to tell you this as a journalist. It's always it's hard 
it's always hard to like stay objective when you're covering like a TV show or you know anything, anything, a film, this, that, right. um, in the entertainment field to remain unbiased. But for me, I mean, the show is slick. It's uh, it's gorgeous. It's well written. The acting is unbelievable. I mean, you, you guys, you hit everything. Oh, with this. Thank, and, thank you. Listen, we were so blessed with like, listen, we got you know Bob Zemeckis, executive producing, right. and his team are phenomenal. Uh, you know, of course, our cast, you know, Aiden, the wonderful Aiden Gillen and Michael Malarkey and Laura Minnell, Ksenia Solo or, you know, Neil McDonough, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Michael Harney. Those guys are just are just wonderful, wonderful actors. And then we just had a great team. Our directors, our, our DPs are like everyone really uh, came to this show with such enthusiasm and I think respect for the subject matter and respect for what we we're trying to do. Cause it's, it's, it's a fine line that we're trying to walk here. It's period. We're dealing with something where we're, we're trying to walk right on the edge and give people the, you know, as truthful as, you know, as, as, as sort of intriguing a ride as we can. And I think everyone just brought their a game and that was just, I, I just feel so privileged to be a part of, of a, especially because it, it's speaking to a subject matter that also speaks so personally to me that 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 it all kind of came together the way it did with everyone involved. And the passion is clearly there from from start to finish, David. And it's definitely yeah. it's a journey of jail and Hynix that I think we're all ready and willing to take. So I can't wait for it to premiere uh, January eighth on the History Channel. Um, yes. Congratulations on everything, and uh, we are so- willing to keep looking up, my man. Yeah, great. Yeah, keep keep watching the skies, guys, and uh, and and I truly hope everybody tunes in and to check it out. Uh, you know, we're all really proud of it on our end. So, uh, so yes, please watch. <laughs> <laughs> please watch. Thank you so much, David. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. Real pleasure, man. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I want to give the audience a little bit of a hint of what to expect with Project Blue Book. But before we even get to that, I have to ask you, Sean, your origin story, if we're going to go the comic book route. How did you... Origin story, yes. yes. Well, I was by a radioactive spider. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Love it. I got to go with Peter Parker always. As a yeah, boy yeah. from Queens, I uh, I respect that yeah. immensely. <laughs> I'm from New York too, so that's where I grew up. I grew oh. up in the city. Oh, awesome, man! So we definitely have that in common. But uh, clearly, we have a little bit more in common. UFOs being one of them. Um, yeah. So, did you have any interest in the UFO topic before being a part of this, or did you even know what Project Blue Book was? So, look, the good news is, you know, I I had known about Project Blue Book for a very long time. I've been a bit of a – I don't know if you can use the word buff, but I have uh, been fascinated by UFOs and the phenomenon for a very long time. I believe I had a sighting as a kid at uh, 10 years old when I was in New York City. It was something that always stuck with me. Um, I've actually read a lot about the phenomenon uh, because I find it to be endlessly fascinating and, you know, one of the things that uh, just about it that that was sort of shocking to me in a way is that it feels like when you have skeptics who want to keep telling you, where's the proof? Where's the proof? We don't see any real proof. It's like it's actually out there. There is plenty of real proof, real credible witnesses, credible film, credible artifacts all related to it. And it's just a choice I think people make whether they want to be open to it, believing it or not. I actually went and because I, I think like maybe a lot of people uh, who listen to the podcast, you know, I got into ancient aliens and that got me really interested in Machu Picchu. And I actually took a trip down to Peru by myself oh, over wow. a Christmas holiday because I was like, I just have to see this up close. I, I have to see it up close. I want to see if it feels like there was that ancient alien, you know, um, uh, hypotheses, they actually built it or not. And it was a fascinating trip. I think people did build it <laughs> at the end of the day, but uh, there's still a lot of unexplained stuff. But th that is a long answer to a short question, which is, yes, it's something that I've been interested in for a very long time. So coming to the project as soon as I had heard about it, I chased it and I was like, I'm the guy, you know, I know about this. The story's great. The script is great. Um, I have to be a part of this. Okay. So to, to make it clear to our audience, you are not only the showrunner of Project Blue Book, you're also an executive producer and a writer. So before we even get to the content, how, how do you differentiate between all those responsibilities on one project? I, I can't even imagine that's easy. You know, I mean, I've been doing uh, television for over 20 years now. So I have I have a lot of, I guess, you know, practical experience with it. I, I've, I've been fortunate enough to work alongside and under some of the you know best best in the business, Tom Fontana, Ryan Murphy, Michael Mann. Um, so you get to see sort of firsthand how they do it. Um, and look, doing a, uh, a television show is probably like doing any creative endeavor. You're going to have an idea. And then you're going to go step by step. How do we need to get this done? Now, the scope of a television show is such that there's a lot of moving pieces to it, a lot of parts to it, a lot of things you have to be aware of. It all starts with story. Um, I had a writing teacher in college say once, you know, if if you have a, um, a great script, you have a chance at making a great uh, movie. If you have a bad script, you have no chance. So I spend all my time really on the story. You know, coming up with it, working with the writers in the, the writer's room, doing rewrites. And then after that, in terms of implementing, you know, the, you know, the show running aspect of it, keeping things on budget, hiring directors, casting, location, set design, all of that stuff. Once you have a clear idea what the story is, 
The very short answer is you're going to just have answers to all the questions. Mm. And when you see something that doesn't feel right, you're going to say that doesn't feel like what we're trying to do here. And it's just that process ad infinitum, like, you know, all throughout the day, you know, it's, it goes from everything to, from a line somebody says to, I don't think they would wear that color to, you know, this needs to be exterior, not interior to, I like this director and I, or I don't like that editor. It's, it's, it's like anything you'll, you'll, once you're given the keys, you'll, you'll know how to do it. Well, in terms of that process, you know, we, we know that there were so many, what, like 12,000 cases 12, yeah. that Project Blue Book covered. How did you guys even begin to like narrow in you and David, the creator to which cases to cover, at least in the first season? I, I again, I can't imagine that was easy. So yeah, let me give all props to David O'Leary as well, you know, who is the creator of the show. He did, uh, he wrote a spec script for it, which is to say it was an idea he had, about Project Blue Book and on his own decided to write a script as a, you know, like a pilot for a television show. Dave is a great writer, great ideas, been around the television business for a while, but hadn't really done a television show, which is why I was brought in. As I like to say, you know, David built the boat. I was given the pleasure of captaining it, which I think is probably a good way to kind of look at it. But in terms of how to sort of select cases, simple. David and I sat in a room for about three weeks we went before we even got in there. We went and delved into uh, a lot of the cases Blue Book had handled. We both already came with so many that we knew, and then we just sat there and we started like, like horse trading. You know, it's like, oh my God, the Lubbock Lights. What's great about that is it's like multiple witnesses, college campus. That could be a great setting. You had a professor that you know, took a picture. Um, there were, you know, great newspaper articles. That's good because we have multiple witnesses and some credible ones. Um, you know, the very first episode, which I know there's a lot of promos on we do, uh, which is a seminal case of, uh, the, uh, the Gorman dog dog fight. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, so that was like a lone person up in the sky, very visual. It just felt like a great sort of introduction into telling the story. And throughout the season, what we tried to do is go, look, we want to start this. We want to introduce an audience to like a small phenomenon at first and then build. Right. So by the end of the season, we've gone from a single somewhat credible, but sort of maybe he's crazy witness to multiple credible witnesses involving the government. So you get to see the breadth of the phenomenon. And that's pretty much how we shaped it. Right. And, you know, again, not giving too much away. It's interesting to actually watch the process of an investigation through the eyes of J.L. and Hynek, which we'll get to, uh, and not come out on the other side saying everything's aliens. You know, he right. we know as UFO researchers that he was extremely skeptical first going into this and mm. remained that way for a while. So that was a really cool journey to sort of take, at least through what I've seen of the show so far. So I have to ask in terms of casting, Aiden Gillen as J. Allen mm. Hynek. I got chills, man, the first time we came on screen. We have been waiting to see J. Allen Hynek, us in the UFO field, on a screen for so long. And I honestly couldn't think of a better choice for this. The minute he started talking, I'm like, yep, that's him. That's exactly yep. what I always envisioned. Same with Michael Malarkey, who sort of plays an amalgamation of um, other characters that's that right. we yep. all know of. So how did, how did, how was the casting for this? How did that sort of turn out? And how did you give life to these lesser known historical figures? 
Casting was look, it's a fun process because you start with pie in the sky type uh, names and ideas, you know, like who would be the best person you could possibly imagine to play this person. And what's great now is because I think TV has such um, has eclipsed movies in a way of the talent that it brings to the screen that you really can shoot for that. And I'm being honest when I say Aiden was the top of our list when we started looking. He was coming off a Game of Thrones um, there is something about him when you see him on screen that you can feel energy and movement going on behind his eyes. And so much of who Heineck is, is a guy who's thinking and putting things together. And Aiden felt like somebody that was communicating even when he wasn't speaking. Um, and so to be able to have a character like that and then the weight that he could carry, um, you know, as as the real life character, it just – you know, the stars aligned, if I can use that pun. Um, and we got, we got we got very lucky with him in terms of how to he what he brought to the character. We are fortunate enough to actually have Jalen Hunnick's two sons, uh, Paul and Joel, Joel, who's who, who is part of the series um, as consultants on our show. Right. So they were able to speak with Aiden and all of us and give us like really detailed moments about their dad and about life and about life in the house and just Little things, you know, even sent over some ties of, of their dads that, that helped Aiden sort of get into character. So, and then, of course, a lot of research, a lot of reading, and then Aiden's going to want to bring his own stuff, you know? So it's a, it's really a collaborative effort. And I can't imagine it's easy for to step into those shoes, either whether the character was based on a real person or or not, you know, someone like his his partner in the show. Uh, played by Michael Malarkey, it's creating a character from absolute scratch. So, yeah, I can only imagine imagine it was a very interesting journey for both of them and the other actors as well. Um, I, I did have the pleasure of seeing a Q&A at AlienCon with Paul Hynek, and that was really cool to hear him talk about, you know, his dad coming home to dinner and talking about the cases he was working on and which ones he found most compelling. And again, a moment, you know, a very rare moment to hear from someone in the family about what his father was working on. I'm sure we'll get snippets of that throughout the series as well. So, Also, just to your point, too, the other characters are, you know, they're although Heineck is, you know, first and, you know, front and center for us and we have his rights in terms of, you know, the series, we did, we weren't able to secure for some of the other characters, which is why even though there are people in uh, like Malarkey's character, Neil McDonough, Michael Harney's character, even though these people are in there, they're representing people who were there at the time. Right. We just couldn't use actual names, but it's, it's sort of the, um, Maybe it's like the law and order rip from the headlines kind of approach where you're like, it's it's this person. We sort of know it, but it's not something we can really uh, we can't go 100 percent with names and all of that. Oh, totally. And I mean, for the UFO, the people who are listening to this show, they're definitely going to know who these characters are based yeah. on. And for a more mainstream audience, I think the intention is there. We, we understand who these actual people were and what these characters are representing. So, again, wonderful, wonderful job on that. In terms of Project Blue Book, now we have two sides to Project Blue Book that we all know of uh, in the UFO field. That's the side the public knew about and the side of what the Air Force's true intentions were with this. And you do play with that a lot in the series. So I was wondering, Sean, if you'd be able to briefly sort of run us through how you tackled both ends of the actual Project Blue Book in the show. 
Well, there is a, you know, there's, there's the public face and then there is the sort of, I, I guess for maybe lack of a better term, the conspiratorial angle of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. One of the um, catchphrases I, I find myself using a lot is, you know, it was sort of like the origin of fake news, right? It was the U.S. government, specifically the Air Force, putting together an organization designed to basically tell people what you saw you did not see. And in that way, it was rewriting a narrative, right? So I think what our approach was is that we're not trying to paint the government, the Air Force, any of those decisions made as a bad thing. You, you look at the time period, you look at the paranoia, you look at what could happen if you created the sense of you know, fear in, in the general public that these things existed. You had to make some tough decisions, you know what I mean? And, and probably keep it away from people. So I, we try to sympathize to some degree, I think, with the, uh, like I said, the Air Force side and understand it. And because they feel they are doing the right thing, it makes the, uh, I would say the conflict, it, it brings it more to the forefront. It paints this picture that there's a much deeper thing going on in the show in terms of, you know, Heineck is hired to work for the Air Force to to explain away these cases, and you can't blame them for that. If a true believer in the UFO phenomenon looks at that, they're going to say, oh, it's, you know, I don't agree with that. But for the layman person who is just living their normal day-to-day life, they want to be told, okay, there's not aliens out there visiting our planet. I've got enough stuff to worry about here on Earth. So look, I I think the line too, I mean, look, there's, there are plenty of credible sightings and we could go all day Mm. doing that. And I'm, I hardly fall in the skeptic category. If anything, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm I'm a believer, but there's certainly a number of cases as well that, you know, when you scratch a little deeper, you go, Oh, clearly that was something else, you know, but the thing that I think the show does well is it finds a nice middle ground where it's like you could sort of explain this away or you could really see it as something else as well. And they both exist in the same spot. And I think that's where we want to keep the audience at all times where it's like, maybe that was the case. We're not really sure. You know, you're, you're always given a plausible explanation and then one that can lead to a much greater conspiracy. In watching the first six episodes, you, you think, you know, what they, what their conclusion is. And then, the minute you think you know, it changes. And I'm sure that's how it actually happened to Heineck and, and the other, you know, academics and scientists working on this project at the time. There never was a true answer. How many cases were left unsolved? Something like 700, I believe. Yep. 700. And then about a third of even the 12,000. You know, there was the, um, oh, what was the name of the report they did? The late oh, 50s. Oh, yeah. yeah that- not, not the Warren report. That was Kennedy. But it was, it was either the uh, the Robertson the, panel or Rob, the Condon Robertson, committee. Yeah. yeah, I always get them confused. <laughs> and and they basically went through and just sort of check mark like a third of those cases to go. Yeah, okay, birds, uh, weather balloon, Mercury, you know, uh, Venus, like without even really delving into it. So seven hundred official. I think there's probably another you know, 3000 that are, you know, could easily be examined and be found to be just not even, you know, credible at all in terms of a response. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of the, the cases you looked at, are there any that you really stuck out to you that made you really think, huh, we, we got something here and that you wanted to cover in the show? Any like one pivotal case that you're willing to share with us? 
So, I, I mean, there's two of them. And well, there's more. But I mean, in terms of the first season, there's two of them. Uh, one that I, I mean, you've seen the first six. They're literally yeah. the last two episodes. OK, that's seasons. all you had to say for uh, me. But I will say one involved abduction. And uh, to me, that is fascinating because, you know, you, you, when you delve deeper into some of the abduction stories, the amount of reality you have to suspend or have to believe about a person who might be risking everything to tell their story and consistently stay on on message and give you the same facts and talk about the idea of being abducted. To me, that's fascinating because I, I it's hard to imagine somebody saying I'm making this all up or I'm trying to get publicity or something and then carry it to your dying day. So that's one of them. And then there's another one that I'll just say is our season finale um, that I think is most fascinating because it, like like the Phoenix Lights, it's so many witnesses, mm -hmm. so many witnesses, so many people saw the same thing at the same time. And then it was like it just went off the front page and you, you you'll see it in, in episode 10. And it's um, it's a part of American history. You know, the president was involved. It's just, you know, I'm probably giving a lot away for people who are familiar with what I'm talking about. But <laughs> that to me was the most fascinating, you know. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I'd like to touch on that idea of, you know, these stories coming out that are pretty big bombshells in terms of the UFO topic and then fading away, Sean. I mean, we recently had the New York Times article, what, about a year ago that came out saying the Pentagon had secretly been investigating yep. UFOs. I mean, for us, for people like me, I was like, holy shit, like I had no idea. And I've been looking at this stuff my whole life. And, you know, it was big news for a couple weeks and then it just sort of faded into obscurity. What do you make of that whole thing? It, it seems like a really interesting time for your for your show to be coming around when when we now know there was a secret project going on, even though they said the last one the government did was Project Blue Book. Yeah, I look not surprised at all. You know, the position uh, of the Pentagon has always been it's a national security issue. Mm -hmm. And to that end, yeah, you have to, you know, be uh, you have to know what sort of threats are out there. And if there are things in our skies that you can't account for. That could be a national security issue when, you know, uh, back in the 50s, when all those, new, you know, there's a lot of those reports, excuse me, of from the nuclear arsenals. Once we got the bomb that they would see lights above these places all, all the time. Um, and as a matter of fact, that's, you know, the um, sightings really spiked once we got the bomb as if we'd sort of, you know, send a message out there that like we're we're capable of blowing blowing ourselves up. So it, it makes sense to me that the Pentagon would hide it again, because then they're asked about it every day. What doesn't make sense to me is that when it does come out and people see it and like that recent thing, I don't know how long ago it was now. I guess it was a year ago when that was that F-18 outside of San Diego. They released the footage and, yes. you know, that people see that. And you hear the pilots, and I will say we were speaking on a panel in Comic-Con – was it Comic-Con? Alien-Con? San Diego, was it? It might have been San Diego, and the pilot in that plane got up and spoke to us. Oh, wow. And his wife kept saying, uh, honey, sit down. Sit down. You don't have to keep talking. <laughs> wow. I had no idea. It was – Unbelievable. We were all little jaws on the floor kind of thing. But yeah, it's like, yeah, we saw this. Don't know what it was. Move this way. You saw that you saw the film. We're not making this up. 
the government is saying. We don't know what it is either. And then people go, oh, gee, I wonder what's on uh, ESPN right now. Yeah. You know, it goes away. It's fascinating to me. Well, I mean, I, I see that changing slightly. I mean, I know for a fact, you know, since that story broke that, um, you know, th- things like Project Blue Book, there's there's a ton of other UFO-related oh, things that are going to be hitting the television screen soon. It's, I, I think it's made a resurgence, for sure. I think this is the time of UFOs again. So, I mean, I think you guys are right at the, the forefront of that. So that's got to be exciting as well. Very, very. It's, and it's fun because you do get, you get tapped into more stuff now. More things find you now. And you're like, oh, my God, I can't. It's just incredible to me, you know? Yeah. And the history, the history of it, you know, the high jump back around World War II and Antarctica and Admiral Byrd and all stuff with the Nazis. And the, it's just the history of it is fascinating. It's just right. Fascinating. And, and I think, you know, the show being on the History Channel, people expect that, some sort of accuracy and authenticity to actual historical events. So, again, while this may be a fictional show, many people look at it that way. Uh, it's based on true events. I mean, this was an actual investigation, and and you guys do go there. I was highly impressed with the research that went into this, and, you know, I, I, I had no expectations sort of going in until I was given that key to watch the first six, and mm-hmm. I will tell you right now, man, like, I, I am completely sold, and I, I, I can't wait to see what comes next for it, but I have to ask you personally, yeah. you know, as yeah. a showrunner, you've worked on so many really really big shows in Hollywood and whatnot. Um, How does this one compare to all your other projects? What resonates most about Project Blue Book? Well, look, it's funny. I I tell people now, and it's, I I get to speak from a really truthful place about the passion that I have for this. And I will say first and foremost that I am a jaded Hollywood writer. (laughs) (laughs) I've been doing this a long time and been involved in a lot of projects. I've had I've had wonderful success. I've seen things that I thought were, you know, had had great potential just sort of fizzle and die in in a development stage or once the network and studio got a hold of it. This one feels special to me and it feels two reasons. One, it feels relevant, right? It feels like this stuff is happening now and it speaks to not just the historical period, but it feels like it's about what's happening now. You have the fake news, you have the Russians, you have, you know, the sightings in the sky, you have the paranoia we all feel um, about what is out there. And it's about something, you know, and it's not just we're not just writing a show that's about we're investigating UFOs. It has it asks bigger questions um, and it has great character moments and character arcs for our characters. I, I like to say early on that, you know, look, this is a show at its core about trying to identify the unidentifiable or, or attach an identity to something. And that is life's work, not just when it comes to the UFO phenomenon, but when I look at character as well, that's what we're all trying to do. We're all trying to sort of dig deep and find out the recesses of who we are. You know, we're constantly changing and to be able to apply that to the characters and the writing. It has been a wonderful marriage of both history and story and and personal connection to it. So, um, yes, I say as a jaded Hollywood writer, this one is very special to me. 
Well, as a another jaded Hollywood resident, I completely understand, Sean, <laughs> and I, I couldn't agree more. There's something truly special about this show, from the writing to the acting to the overall message and, and beyond. Like I said, man, as a, I try to remain objective and on the sidelines for many of these sorts of entertainment things, but I am, I am a super fan from episode one to 10, and I hope we get more, man, but it premieres January 8th on the History Channel, and uh, what can we expect next from you? Well, you know, as a jaded Hollywood writer, I'm always working on a lot of stuff. We are eagerly anticipating a season two pickup. Uh, generally doesn't happen until uh, after the show airs, uh, but given the amount of positive feedback and so far positive uh, critical acclaim um, and just the uh, marketing of it, uh, I have high hopes, and so my energies, I'm hoping, are going to shift a hundred percent to uh, back to blue book starting in the new year. I certainly hope so, Sean. So thank you so much for joining me today on somewhere in the skies. My pleasure. Love what you're doing too. So thank you. That's it for this week's episode. Be sure to check out project blue book premiering on the history channel on January 8th. Check your local listings for exact times. Also look forward to exclusive interviews with some of the actors in the near future. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review Somewhere in the Skies on the largest podcast platform, Apple Podcasts and iTunes. You directly help the show gain visibility and gain new listeners. Check out our merch store at tpublic.com, that's T-E-E-Public.com, and search for the Somewhere in the Skies store. We have an exclusive Heineck t-shirt for your Project Blue Book viewing parties. We're on Twitter at Summer Skies and Instagram at Summer Skies Pod. Check out our growing YouTube channel for exclusive videos. Just search for the Ryan Sprague channel. Thank you as always to HelloFresh, the E1 Podcast Network, KGRA Radio, and most importantly, to you, the listeners. I'll see you here next week, and remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com. Hold up. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.